Thank you for listening to the Collective Church Podcast. Collective is a church for the rest of us, which means if you've never been to church, walked away from the church, or are struggling to find a church you connect with, you belong here. Big things are happening at Collective this fall, and we'd love for you to be a part of them. Join us on Sunday mornings at 9.30 and 11 a.m. at 5103 Pegasus Court for church that doesn't feel like your typical church. We hope to see you there. Now let's get into Sunday's message. Growing up, I was a huge fan of the Goosebump books by R.L. Stein. Any fans of those growing up? Yeah, that's right. Uh, so in the original series, if you're a fan, you know there's 62 books in that series. And I think I read every single one of them multiple times. I don't know if I read anything but Goosebumps growing up. Uh, but if you've never heard of these books before, Goosebumps are essentially horror fiction books but for kids. Like think Stephen King novels for children in elementary or middle school. Totally safe. We're all fine for reading those books. Um, some of the best that they had was, there's a book called Say Cheese and Die, which was like, took a picture and the person died. Um, there was Night of the Living Dummy, Revenge of the Lawn Gnomes. The best one they ever put out was a book called The Haunted Mask. And what these stories would do is they'd follow these child characters who would find themselves in scary situations, usually involving monsters or some sort of supernatural element. And at the same time, Goosebumps were blowing up. There was another type of book that was blowing up called Choose Your Own Adventure Books. Anybody read those? They were like all over the place. What you would do, you read a few pages, you read a few chapters, and then you could decide what the main characters did next. And this took Goosebump books to a whole new level because you could decide how the story played out. Right? You had a say in what the main characters did and how they approached kind of these tensions and these crossroads in the story. It made the books 10 times better. I remember picking up my first copy and getting a few chapters in before facing like my first big decision. There's a noise coming from inside that old haunted looking house at the end of the block. And I could do one of two things. I could go in and see what the noise was, or I could ignore the noise and go home. And being a super practical person, I chose to ignore the noise and go home. And so the book was like, skip to chapter 12 and open chapter 12. And it's like, the end. And it's like, okay. So I wasn't very good at choose your own adventure books because who goes into the haunted house? Like practically speaking, uh, it wasn't really uh, something I was good at. So I was like, I'm just gonna do the reasonable thing and go home and not tell anyone there's a ghost over there. Uh, so today we're in the third week of our series called Your Story Matters. And just as a reminder, we are doing this series because we believe that every person has a story to share. Not a perfect story, not a complete story, but a messy and real and beautiful story of what God has done and is doing in their lives. And we believe and we know that God can use our stories to impact others and change the world. This is why those cards are on your seat when you come in. And they're gonna be here for the next few Sundays because our hope is that you write down your story or at least part of your story, right? Some of you are like, I need 12 cards to write down my story. You can take 12 cards if you want to. But the challenge is to write down your story or part of your story and place it on the wall in the lobby for people to experience. And some of you have already done that. I just wanna commend you for your courage and your vulnerability. Um, we know that this is a big ask, and we are asking you to do a very um, scary thing, a very vulnerable thing. Um, for a lot of you, you'll feel like this is a very risky thing to do, and we know that. Um, but we also know that your stories can impact others. 
In fact, for those of you who have already put your uh, card on the wall, people shared with us this week, they're already reading them and it's already impacting them. You know, to know that there are people in this church that struggle with the same things they struggle with, that have been through the same things they're going through, or there are people that if they go through those things, that there are people in this church that maybe they can reach out to and talk to. And so if you've shared those, uh, thank you for doing it. If you haven't done this yet, um, we just wanna encourage you and challenge you to choose vulnerability and take your time to do this over the next few weeks because we know that our stories matter. Now, last week, we shared our first story, which was my mom's. It was a plot twist. Didn't tell you going into it. Um, but I want to say two quick things about this really quickly. The first is thank you. Um, I know that I said in this series that uh, this was going to require a lot of vulnerability. And I knew that starting things off with my mom was super vulnerable for me uh, and my whole family. And you all just did such a wonderful job honoring that. Um, it is terrifying to be vulnerable. It is terrifying to like open yourself up and allow other people into your lives, but you all make this so much easier uh, than the rest of the world does, right? This church, you all do such a wonderful job of honoring and caring for people and their stories and their highs and their lows and their vulnerability. Um, and that just makes it easier to do it. And that was an encouragement to me. I hope that's an encouragement for you as well. So thank you. The second thing is I gave a disclaimer last week that if you have a birth through elementary age kid in here, you should probably bring them to Collective Kids uh, during this series. I, I never write sermons for elementary age kids. I don't think about them. Um, they're gonna hear some things in here that it's your decision if you wanna have a conversation with them about it later. You should if they're in here, but ultimately they shouldn't be in here, right? They should be in Collective Kids. So I gave that disclaimer. That disclaimer is still true, but there's a second disclaimer that I forgot to give last week, which is you might need tissues. Um, a lot of people came up to me and were like, hey, we need tissues. And I was like, I don't know what to tell you. Um, so we talked about as a staff this week, and we considered putting like boxes under the seat and carpeting them. A lot of you went to that church growing up, right? You remember? Uh, we're not doing that. <laughs> um, but uh, people are sharing real stories, um, stories about their real life. And, and we know that's going to impact you. And so over the next few weeks, grab tissues. If you don't have tissues, make friends with the person next to you. Uh, you can use your sleeve, that's gross, but um, that's your warning and I'm not giving another one. Uh, so last week we talked about the idea that when you let Jesus into your story, it changes everything. It changes how you live your life. It changes the lives of those around us. Um, and that's not because Jesus makes everything perfect. We know that that's not true, um, but it is because it brings hope and peace and joy that transcends the highs and lows that we experience in life. And so for this week, we're kind of moving that a little bit forward. And here's what uh, we're going to focus on today. I want to encourage you, write this down, take a picture of it. Um, here's the big idea for today. You get to choose how you respond to the hard things in your story. You get to choose how you respond to the hard things in your story. Right? And these are hard things that we caused, but these are also hard things that are caused by others. We get to choose whether we allow God to redeem our stories and make them new. We get to choose another trajectory. If we are on a path that is leading us toward more pain and more destruction, we're on that path that feels like an endless loop over and over and over again. We get to choose. Honestly, when it comes to our own story, we get to choose our own adventure. We have a say. We have choices. And so just like last week, we're going to read a story from the book of John in the Bible. This is one of the biographies of Jesus, and it was written by... John, not super creative, I know. Um, but just like last week, we're gonna read a real story of a person who interacts with Jesus and it completely changes everything about his life. 
This actually comes a few days after he meets the woman at the well that we talked about last week. And he's in Jerusalem. And specifically, John writes this in John 5, 2. He says, they were inside the city near the sheep gate at the pool of Bethesda with the five covered porches. Now, typically, uh, if you're reading your Bible at home, you skip that part, right? You're like, that's boring. I don't want those details. It's like the beginning of Matthew. It's like genealogy. And you're like, I can't pronounce half these. I'm just going to move past this. But... Uh, I say this all the time. We read this all the time at Collective because these details matter, right? John wrote them intentionally. These aren't just boring details that he added to his story to fill up a page. This isn't like when you're writing a paper in high school or college and you like highlight the space after the period and you make it size 20 font so it makes it all look like you wrote more than you actually did. None of you did that, right? Okay. (laughs) High schoolers, don't do it. It's a bad idea, blah, 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 blah. It gets you from four to five really quickly if you're writing papers. But this isn't what John's doing, right? He's not just like padding this thing out. He's not just adding these unnecessary details, right? What he's doing is he's creating credibility. He's making sure that people who read this can fact check him. What he's saying is in a real city, Jerusalem, near a real place, the Sheep Gate, Jesus was at a real location called the Pool of Bethesda. You know, the one I'm talking about, the Pool with the Five Covered Porches. But let me explain this a little bit more because I think this is really important. Jerusalem was a walled city, which was normal during that time um, because that was how you protected yourself and your resources from enemies. Now today, the city of Jerusalem has grown, but right in the middle of the new city of Jerusalem is this old city, which is still surrounded by walls. So to enter into Jerusalem during Jesus's time or to enter into old Jerusalem today, you would have to go through gates. And one of them was called the Sheep Gate because it had the image of a sheep on it. But taking it even further, in the Old Testament, we read that the temple and really the city of Jerusalem was destroyed and rebuilt and destroyed and rebuilt. And Nehemiah, who was in charge of rebuilding the city back up, he writes in the book of Nehemiah that they repaired the Sheep Gates, right? So what this does is it gives credibility and history to this story. Let me put this into Camden Yards language. It's a little bit easier to understand. So when you go to Camden Yards to watch the Orioles finish 500 this year, uh, you can enter the stadium from the Utah Street gate on the city side. You can enter through the Utah Street gates from the M&T side, which isn't the best side. I try to avoid that because I don't want to see another statue of Ray Lewis doing whatever he does. Two weeks ago, uh, I said the Ravens were going to lose and they lost. And so I just want to put all the Ravens fans on notice. Uh, don't push me, okay? Apparently, <laughs> something happens. But, but it's kind of the same thing. Like, you go to the stadium, you can enter through gate E and D, which is behind home plate. And this is kind of what John is doing, right? He's letting the readers know exactly where this happened, connecting it to history. But what's even cooler is that all of these details that John wrote can be proven today, right? Historians and archaeologists have found this location. Check this out. This is actually the Pool of Bethesda, So what's crazy about this location is that you can go there today, right? There's a place where you can go to the actual pool of Bethesda. And so this summer when Ray and I went to Israel, we got to go to this place, right? We got to sit and we got to walk on the path. We got to touch the stones that were there, right? While we were actually sitting there in the city, we read the story that we're reading today, And just a shameless plug, in 2024, when we go back to Israel, when a group from this church gets to go, we will get to do the same thing. 
right? And so this matters because it should give us confidence in what we're reading and believing, right? This is a story that John wrote about real people, about real places that are still there today, right? Real history, real stories. Let's keep reading. John 5, 3 says this, uh, crowds of sick people, blind, lame, or paralyzed, lay on the porches. And this is exactly what you can imagine in your mind, right? While you're there, there's these five pools and there's these porches or porticos really that had steps leading down to the water. And what people would do is they would actually gather on these steps because they believed that this pool and these, this water had healing powers. Next verse says this, one of the men laying there had been sick for 38 years, right? 38 years. Can you imagine being sick for 38 years. And maybe not physically sick, but I'm sure that some of you can actually relate to that. But can you imagine being stuck in the same place for that long, right? Battling mental illness or emotional struggles or spiritual struggles, like being stuck in that place for 38 years, right? Battling mental illness for years, fighting addiction for years, being in a marriage that's been hanging on by a thread for years, feeling alone for years, right? Being stuck in that same sin you can't get rid of for years, right? We can relate to that, can't we? Right? Maybe not directly, but we can relate to this idea that we are stuck for a long time. We can't get out of that place. And this is this guy's life, right? And we don't know if he's 38 years old and he was born with this disability, like we don't know that. We don't know if like he lived part of his life and like something happened to him. But what we do know is that every day he is in the same place, sitting outside of this pool of water, hoping that something changes, right? Hoping that he can be healed, hoping that his story changes. And this is when Jesus interrupts his life. In John 5, 6, it says this, when Jesus saw him and knew he had been ill for a long time, he asked him, would you like to get well? Right? What a weird question for Jesus to ask. Right? This dude's been on a mat for 38 years and he looks at him and says, hey, do you want to get well? Right? And if you were this guy and Jesus asked you this question, what would you have said? Right? How would you have responded when you're in this low point of your life? How would you have responded to Jesus? Like, I know for me personally, like, I wouldn't have been super pumped about that question. Like, I would not have answered Jesus peacefully. I would have said, hey, for 38 years, I've been trapped inside this body. I'm not able to do what I want to do. Right? For nearly four decades, this has been my life. And you are asking me if I want to get well. Right? Of course I do. Like, I'm sick of being sick. I'm done with being stuck. I've had enough. Right? I've had enough. I would tell Jesus, I am at my breaking point. Yes, of course I want to get well. Just tell me what to do. That's how I would have responded. Maybe throwing in a few other choice words to Jesus at the time that we're not gonna share in church. But that's how I would have responded, right? Because how frustrating would that situation be? But this is how the man replies. John 5, 7 says this. He says, I can't. I can't. And Jesus, do you want to get well? And his response is, hey, I, I can't. Right? And we get to choose how we respond to the hard things in our story. And when life isn't what we want it to be or expect it to be, when we are stuck, when we are in the valleys of pain and self-hatred and addiction and anger and loneliness and brokenness, here's the first choice we can make. We can choose to give up. That is a very real choice that we have in our lives, right? This is a moment, this is part of this guy's story where he's chosen to give up. He's decided that this is who he is. 
This is his story. He's given up on the fact that anything can change. He says, I can't. And then he continues, he says, for I have no one to put me into the pool when the water bubbles up. Someone else always gets there ahead of me. Right? He doesn't just give up. He starts making excuses. I can't. I don't have anyone to help me. Someone always gets there first. I've tried it before, but it doesn't work. Something always goes wrong. Someone always cuts me off, takes my turn. They get there before I do. I can't. And he's kind of reserved to the fact that like, this is my life. This is who I am. This is my story. And we do this, especially when it comes to our pain, because healing and growth and restoration are hard, but giving up is easier, right? Staying stuck is easier. Staying in the same story is easier. It's not better, but that is the easier thing to do, just saying, this is my life. This is what's going to happen to me. I'm just going to live it out. And we can judge this guy if we want, but if we're being honest, we are just like him. Right? I mean, I know that I am just like him because it's easier for me to sit on my mat and make excuses. It's easier to not try because if I try to do this vulnerable thing, I might fail. It's easier for me to find the reasons why other people put me in the position I'm in. It's easier for me to say, I can't. Right? When your marriage is struggling, when there's been an affair or when communication is non-existent or when wounds from your past create pain in your present, it is so much easier to give up, to throw your hands in the air and walk away and give all the reason why things weren't meant to be. It's easier to say, I can't, than it is to open up to your friends and ask for help. It's easier to say, I can't, than go to counseling together. Or it's easier to say, I can't, than be vulnerable with your spouse and start working through the wounds of forgiveness. When you have friendships that are damaged, Damage because someone broke your trust or someone hurt you, because someone mistreated you. It is so much easier to give up, to choose bitterness and allow that pain to be the reason you don't trust again or the reason you don't develop relationships again or the reason why you're just mean. It is easier to say, I can't, than it is to work through restoration, through repentance, right? through saying, I'm sorry, or receiving someone else's apology. It's easier to say, I can't, than it is to choose patience and empathy, whether or not that relationship ever gets fixed. And I see this all the time, but specifically, I see this a lot in people who are divorced. They would rather give up than try to find peace in a broken relationship, even though they know that finding some level of peace is better for everyone involved, especially when there are kids. When your faith is in a season of all valleys and no peaks, when you feel like you're all alone and God is nowhere to be found, it is so much easier to walk away from your faith in Jesus than it is to lean in, to pray more, to read your Bible more, to worship more, to find people who you can be honest with about your struggles, but they'll actually push you to keep believing, right? To find people who remind you of what God has done in your life and what he can do. That is the harder thing to do. It is so much easier, honestly, to surround yourself with people who go, you can just stop believing or won't actually push you to do the hard things that Jesus is asking you to do. It is easier to say, I can't, than to hold steady in your faith. Right? When things get hard, it is so much easier to give up, to stay on the mat and throw out a bunch of reasons why things can't change, why our story can't change. But the good news is Jesus isn't having any of that. It's one of the reasons why I love and follow Jesus is that he isn't about excuses. Jesus isn't about that life. 
right? So he says, do you want to get well? And the guy responds back, I can't. And Jesus' response is, uh-oh, but I can. John 5, 8 says this, Jesus told him, stand up, pick up your mat and walk, right? And in this moment, this is a crossroads part of his story. Like it really is. He has two choices. He can ignore Jesus. He can stick to the story that he's been telling for 38 years that he can't be made well and that no one else will help him, that he's stuck. Or he can do the hard thing and he can pick up his mat and he can walk. And so the question is, at this point in his life, what story does he want, right? What story does he want to live out for the rest of his days? This is what the man does in verse nine. He gets up. Instantly, the man was healed. He rolled up his sleeping mat and began walking. And so here's the second choice we can make when life isn't what we want it to be or expect it to be. The first option is we can give up or we can choose to trust Jesus, pick up our mat, and walk. We can choose to do the hard things that Jesus is asking us to do, that scripture is leading us to do. So the question that we have to ask ourselves is what story do we want? The story where we give up or the one where we trust Jesus and we stand up and we keep going through these hard things in our lives. We keep pushing, we keep trusting him, right? Where we do the hard things that Jesus is asking us to do and we trust that he will be with us through it all. And these were the questions that Mike and Melissa were faced with just a few years ago. Check out Mike and Melissa's story. I grew up in Baltimore um, in Dundalk. Uh, did not grow up in the church. My grandfather was Lutheran, and I remember going to, to his church a few times to, to sit up, to sit down, uh, stand up, to sit down, and, and all that, and it never really appealed. It was never talked down upon. Sure. It just was not there. I'm the middle of three children. Um, we grew up going to church. Our church was across the street from our house. Uh, you know, involved in youth group. I went to church camp every summer. And then, you know, went to college and was involved in the college ministry there. Shortly after I moved home, my mom was diagnosed with stage four pancreatic cancer. How I, I mean, she, we wouldn't have gotten through it without having just the faith in general to believe that God can heal, God can get you through this. So while that's happening in Baltimore. I was introduced to hard drugs along with the alcohol. After a few years of just kind of living paycheck to paycheck, functioning, just partying and doing what I wanted to do, it, it started to become harder drugs and took hold to full-blown addiction and kept, just kept going until it all came to a head with a really big theft felony and was sent to prison. Um, I came to Frederick to go to the rescue mission. Was introduced to Jesus, um, you know, the faith-based program and just wasn't ready. I knew I wasn't ready. Cause, you know, you get to that point of so many years of ruining your own life, now you're using just to not think about it and numb all the damage you've done. Sure. That's when the drinking started. And I like to say I did that successfully um, for enough of a time to meet Melissa. He was working at Family Meal. My sister and my best friend and I were going a few weeks later. And even on the way to the restaurant, I had told my sister, I was like, there's just really good looking waiter there. And then later on, he kept passing. And I was like, okay, would you like to go 
get coffee. At this, I mean, I'm 29 and I got a lot of baggage and I had hurt a lot of women in the past and I was just, I made the decision where like, I'm just gonna unload. Uh, I've been to prison, I'm struggling with addiction. You know, at, at that point, my drinking wasn't that bad. I was I had a place to live. I was making good money at a job and, and everything was okay. So I felt like I at least had something to offer, but I still needed to like let her know, like, this is what you're getting into if you want to go any further. Obviously it was a little cautious, but I was like, okay, that was your past. That was, you know, a few years ago. It was also just a feeling of God's got this. Yeah. We dated for a while and third Christmas together, I proposed. I had never felt so loved. I was willing to put in the work and give it a chance, and I knew that it was right despite, you know, anything that he was going through with his addiction and his mental health and, and everything. I mean, still, the drinking hadn't gotten that bad. Probably six months after we got married, just his whole mood kind of changed. We were arguing a lot more, and then it was, hiding the bottles, lost countless jobs. At the time, like, it was more important to just feel normal because, um, like, suicidal thoughts were next yeah. if I didn't get a handle on it. You know, that was the, the journey of starting to get better. The one and only prayer left, like, God, if you're real, I can't live like this anymore. I'll do anything. Just help me. I had the light bulb moment yeah. where just one day out of nowhere, it just all made sense. It wasn't just real, it was true. I would die with a gun to my head knowing I would see Jesus kind of true, and I just knew. And with that came a way out from the mental struggle. It was, you got me. Jesus, you got me. I went back to the mission. Which for people who don't know, is a space very separate from your marriage. And so, how did that feel for you? It took a lot of pressure off. But then I realized that I needed to work on myself as well. Um, I was realizing that I was extremely codependent. It, it was very rewarding to be able to kind of grasp all that. Church was the one place that I could find peace. Um, I remember watching one of the services and I wrote in all caps the entire song, Sea of Victory, because I knew that God was going to do something. He was going to move. And if I didn't dig deep into this, it wasn't gonna work. The only peace I ever knew was when I dug deep into God and really focused on him and got involved because, you know, my closest friends that would understand were in the church. There's no way I would have been able to get through this without having the community of this church, even online. Yeah. A lot of the other churches I've been to, I felt judged. I felt, I didn't feel like I belonged. I just felt like people looking down on me and all this stuff. And I remember uh, coming to Collective and it was just different, just wanting to hear truth. Because at that point was the only thing that was helping me sure. with my mental health and my recovery. It was, I tried everything else. And eventually, you end up back in the Frederick Rescue Mission, you know, grinding again. We open up this space. Um, I think it was like a month later, we're at two services. And the mission shows up at first service. And so you show up with a group of guys 
at first service, but Melissa, you're showing up at second service. You know, you're filling out a connection card that first day, praying for your marriage. What led to the change? I made it a point that the first couple months while I was at the mission, I was not going to call her. I didn't want to do the same old stuff, the, hey, this is what I'm doing to get better. I'm getting better, I'm getting better. Um, I was just going to get better, and you would see that in my life. When I did call, I think after the first month and a half, it wasn't to tell her how I was doing, it was to ask her how she was doing. Still weren't talking about any sort of reconciliation at this point. But I remember, like you are in, in middle school, asking you know the first girl to a dance or something. I was, I was talking to the guys, I was <laughs> yeah. talking to all the guys. I'm like, I'm gonna ask her if she wants to go to church with me. I could tell something was different this time. He was never really that vulnerable. Like he was blunt and honest, but he was never that vulnerable. And I was like, you know, I'll give it a try. We'll do this slowly. We would go to church. And then after a few Sundays, we would go and get coffee afterwards. And I could just tell something was different. Behind the scenes for us as a staff, on Mondays we get together and we celebrate wins. And you guys sitting together was our win because when we went to start Collective, one of the things we said was, man, we want to heal marriages. And that first Monday, Danielle brought it up. And she was like, I don't know if everybody else saw it. And immediately we were like, oh, we all saw it. <laughs> you know, because, because we just knew God who can restore these things actually does. And he did. It was just like, like, thank you, Lord. Like, like this could, like I never thought, I never saw that day yeah. where that would even be possible the old me would have easily been like, at six months, I'm ready, I want, to, I want to come home. Like, I'm ready to come home. And I think I even told you, I said, I, I want to stay, and I want to finish this, I've never finished anything. Me being sober and her seeing me sober was almost brand new, and it needed that attention and work before jumping back into it. Um, and I think it was the best thing we both could have done. Mm -hmm. When it comes to your marriage now, how different is it? And what is God doing now, right, for the two of you? It's been very separate for faith and, and all that, but now, right now, what is that like for you guys? We do things together. <laughs> we have people over, we do double dates. We have more respect for each other. My family has more respect for him. We love each other differently, um, love each other more. We know how to communicate. Now that's, that's a huge difference between then and now is me not being selfish. I mean, putting her first makes all the difference and I didn't know what that looked like sure. until I got sober. That in, in and of itself changed everything. People who are at that point where they're sitting at the bottom going, what the heck do I do? If you had one piece of advice for them, what would that be? Having a community, especially in the church, was extremely helpful. And to realize that you're not the only one that will ever go through this. Um, because if the person you're talking to hasn't, they almost, they most likely know someone who has. Realizing that you're not perfect and that you could always grow and realizing, okay, what can I do to better myself so that I, we can make this work? Being completely honest, first of all, with yourself because there's a lot of ways to lie to yourself about a situation, to justify a situation and to take the easy way out. 
once you've prayed to to listen to get honest and listen to what he's asking and to do the work only a good outcome can happen it might not be the outcome you wanted yeah but it'd be the right one One of the reasons uh, I love Mike and Melissa's story is what Mike shared at the end. Right? He said, you pray, and then you listen. And when you do that, God is going to ask you to do hard things. They're good things. They'll lead to better things. And their marriage in the middle of COVID was faced with multiple hard things. And they had to make the tough decision. Mike had to make the tough decision to go back into recovery away from his wife. But during that season, Melissa also had to do the hard thing and dig into herself. And even though they were doing that work, it didn't guarantee that their marriage would still be a marriage. And so once they saw success in their first steps, here they were again faced with another hard decision. What do we do next? And they fought for their marriage. Jesus doesn't want us to be defined by our circumstances. He doesn't. He wants to take our experiences, the good and the bad, and use them to mold us into the people he originally intended us to be. In fact, if we take a closer look at the words of Jesus when he asked the question, would you like to get well? That word well in the Greek is hygios. That word literally translates to whole. And so what Jesus is really asking him is, do you want to be whole? Right? And I love that question. Do you want to be whole? Do you want to experience a whole and better and abundant life that God has created you for? Or do you want to stay on the mat? Right? Do you want to give up? And I think it's really important that the question is not, do you know how to become whole? Right? That's not the question that Jesus asks us. He knows how. It's him. But what he asks is, do you want to become whole? And so Jesus is asking us in those hard seasons of our life, do we want something different? Do we want a healthier marriage? Do we want healing from our past hurts? Do we want to have peace in the relationships we have? Do we want recovery from our addictions? Do we want something better? And if the answer is yes, then it starts with the work. It starts with picking up our mat because we have no idea what God can do in our lives if we don't pick it up, if we stay on our mats. We have no idea what God can do with our stories with our impact, with our healing, with our growth, if we are afraid to do the hard things that he's asking us to do because the mat is more comfortable, because it's easier, because it's safer. And listen, if you are not a follower of Jesus, right, and this idea of becoming whole is resonating with you, the first step in doing that is putting your faith in him. Right? It's trusting him. Going back to the big idea for today, you get to choose how you respond to the hard things in your life. And the best choice that you can make is putting Jesus into the center of it all, especially when things are hard. Right? Because Jesus promises that he'll never leave us or forsake us. He promises that incredible things are possible for those who love him. He promises that he will overcome the world. Right? Going back to the story about the man on the mat, he's been laying on that mat for 38 years and nothing had changed. No one had been able to help him, right? And it's not saying that no one tried to help him, right? I'm sure that other people tried to help him. No one was able to help him, and that's really important. 
right? No one was able to heal him or fix him. He was hopeless, he was stuck, he was waiting to live out his life on that mat and die. And for 38 years, nothing had changed until he met Jesus. And some of you have been stuck for a long time and nothing has changed. So maybe it's time to put Jesus into your story. Maybe it's time to pick up your mat and see what Jesus can do in your life and in your marriage and in your self-worth and in your recovery. And putting this as bluntly as I can, maybe it's time to stop making excuses, right? Maybe it's time to stop making excuses for why you aren't ready to trust him. Maybe it's time to stop saying, I can't, right? I can't because I've got this sin in my life and I've got to get it completely gone before I trust Jesus, right? I can't because my family and friends wouldn't really understand this whole Jesus thing and I'm afraid. And ultimately, you, you want to please them more than you want to please God, right? Or I can't because I have these doubts. And I have to have all the answers before I jump in. I can't. I want to challenge you to stop making excuses and trust Jesus, Right? And some of you are ready for that. And what are you doing in your head right now? I can't. Right? This is your natural response. In the same way, it was that guy's natural response. Susan Jesus says, do you want to be made holy? He's like, I can't. I can't, I can't do it. There's all these reasons why I can't. But if you are ready to say, I can, or I can start, or I can have a conversation about that, what we encourage you to do is check the baptism box in your connection card. Right? Baptism is the start. Baptism means to be immersed or dunked in water and is the physical action that re represents what is going on with the faith in your heart. It represents your own death, burial, and resurrection. Right? And Paul says that it gives us new life. What does that mean? It gives us a new story, right? a better story. Not a perfect story, but a better one. In just a few moments, we're gonna celebrate uh, Becky as she declares her faith in Jesus and puts him into the middle of her story. And just like every other person that gets into this trough, Becky has had a story full of really high highs and really low lows, but she's ready to put Jesus into the middle of it. And what's really cool about her story uh, is that she actually grew up in Germany. I went to church a little bit when she was younger, but then she moved to America and faith really wasn't a part of her life anymore. And so a few months ago, she was invited to collective by her friend, who happens to be my sister, um, which is just really cool. And Becky showed up and she walked in and she was overwhelmed. <laughs> uh, and we talked a few weeks ago and she said, I had no idea church could be like this, which we get a lot at Collective. This is church, it does count, I promise. But from the moment she walked in, she said that she felt God's presence in a way that she had never felt before. And she never wanted to lose that feeling. She also said that watching other people take this next step is what encouraged her to realize that this is where she needed to start and that she's hoping her baptism does the same for somebody else. Becky is choosing Jesus and we're gonna celebrate that in a few minutes. Right, so we have a choice. When things are hard, we can keep sitting on our mat, whatever that mat may be, right? The mat of addiction, the mat of parents who caused wounds growing up, the mat of a spouse who cheated, the mat of hurt feelings, the mat of not getting what we feel like we deserve, the mat of, but he said, said this, but he, she did that, the mat of, I can't. And we can allow that to be how our story plays out. Or you can do the hard thing. Right? You can fight for your marriage and you can go to marriage counseling. You can fight for your peace and you can let go of bitterness. You can fight for your healing and get accountability from someone to help you break the addiction. You can fight for your faith 
and read your Bible every day. You can pick up your mat and walk. Here's the cool thing about this story. When this interaction happens, before he stands up, he has no idea that he's talking to Jesus. Right? He thinks he's just another guy. He doesn't know that he's the savior of the world. But he still chooses to stand up. And the thing is, not knowing that this is Jesus, not knowing that Jesus can heal him, not knowing that Jesus can help him actually walk away from this moment, he still chooses to stand, even though he might fail. Like the reality in his life is that he might have tried to stand up and fallen on his face and still have been the same person. But then his story would have been, instead of giving up and sitting on the mat, he tried. Right? He fought. He gave it his all. And that is always a better story than the one where we don't try at all. And so Jesus says, John 5, 8, stand up, pick up your mat, and walk. In those hard seasons of life, which there's plenty of them, we have a choice. We can give up. We can say, this is my life, and it's never going to change. Or we can trust Jesus. We can stand up and we can see, see what he can do. Let's pray. God, if we're being honest, um, we like that mat. <clears throat> we like the way it feels. We like the safety and comfort of it. Um, God, we've, we've been in that place for so long. We've convinced ourselves that it's the place that we need to be. We've convinced ourselves that that's our story. We've convinced ourselves that nothing can change. Um, and we like that. But God, we know that that's not better. God, we know that as we experience these things in our life where we feel stuck, we know that staying stuck is not what you want us to do. God, you challenge us and encourage us to get up and walk, to do the hard thing and see what you can do in our lives. And so God, we're thankful for this story. We're thankful for Mike and Melissa for sharing theirs. God, we're thankful for seeing what you can do when we trust you put our faith in you, when we follow you, when we do the hard things that you're asking us to do. And so God, I just pray for our church, um, knowing that people in this room are dealing with some heavy stuff. Um, and God, they've dealt with it, and they'll keep dealing with it, and there'll be more heavy stuff in the future. God, that, um, that we don't get worn out by the hard things of life, but we're reminded um, that because of who you are, when we put you into the center of our story, everything can change. God doesn't make it perfect, but it makes it better. And God, we want that better. We want that life. We want that story. God, give us the courage this week to pick up our mat and walk and do the things that you're asking us to do um, and to trust you. God, we thank you and love you and pray these things in your name. Amen.